You are listening to the Let Them Testify podcast with your girl, Layla. So what are you waiting for? Let's testify. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. So, so excited you guys are here and you're tuning in. Um, so today I got to chat with the school counsellor of Prescott Southern here in Adelaide, uh, Brenton Wolfe, and we talked all things mission trips, we talked all his counselling practice, how God um, has led him in that practice, so much wisdom from this man, um, and yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it, and yeah, let's testify. Hey Brenton, thanks for being on the podcast. Pleasure. Um, so just for the listener, just to get a little bit of a background as to who you are, where you're from, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm an Adelaide boy. I was born in a little suburb called Malvern, which is down near Unley. And uh, then I w- uh, grew up in a lovely suburb called Tea Tree Gully and spent my first 18 years there, um, which is in the foothills of Adelaide. It was the time when uh, most Sundays I'd get out uh, and just wander through the hills. You could go out for a whole day and then come back um, and... We would have tea, there was no worries, it was safe, it was secure. Um, and um, my parents grew up, when we had that little house, we grew up in a place where um, there was no housing past Holden Hill. It was all grapevines. <laughs> and okay. uh, so my grandparents thought my parents were a bit loopy going out to you know, this place, <laughs> right out in the sticks, why are you moving out there? But I, lo- I loved it out there and had a, a good uh, upbringing and uh, went to school at uh, Adelaide Adventist High, I think they call it now Prescott College, yep. um, until I finished there in uh, uh, 1973. But I think probably, you know, in terms of career-wise and, and, and things like that, I my original design was to do medicine. I wanted to do medicine. and. Um, I had a teacher uh, who took me aside and said, Brenton, I don't think you're going to get the marks for for medicine. And he did this in a really nice way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He said, maybe you should consider something else. He said, I think you'd make a very good primary school teacher. And and I can think back then thinking, no way, Charlie, (laughs) I am not interested in being a school teacher. (laughs) And I had an uncle who was a male nurse and had trained at the Sydney Adventist Hospital. Yeah. And I thought to myself, very soon I said to my and my mum had been had trained as a nurse, I thought, I'm going to be a male nurse. I think that will encapsulate all of that. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think I knew right back in year eight um, that that's what, what I wanted to do. But people who have known me for a long time would say that, that I would talk uh, to anybody. Yeah. And, and I've taken interest in anybody, even as a young boy, you know. Yeah, um, yeah that's really interesting considering that what you do for a job now, you actually have to do that. You have to take an interest in people for you to be able to counsel, probably. Yeah. Um, so just say, backtrack a little bit. So you went through high school. Did you then go, where did you do your nursing training? I actually did my first year of nursing at the Sydney Adventist Hospital. Yeah. 
um, but I was one of those uh, naughty boys that was decided to uh, be more interested in chasing girls than <laughs> doing my study, uh, which ultimately led in me uh, being called up to the the School of Nursing and the director saying, look, uh, we, we don't think you're going to pass your, uh, your general nursing certificate. Um, we think you'd be better if you transitioned into enrolled nursing, uh, which I did very quickly. And, and then that took me into working in operating theatre um, for the rest of 1976. But it was always in my heart that I wanted to, um, you know, finish off my general nursing. And I went, applied for a couple of places up in Sydney. Yeah. But both of those places just didn't eventuate. And so, you know, headed back to Adelaide at the end of uh, 1976 worked at Mobbury Hospital uh, in the, uh, the operating theatre there as a, a theatre nurse and during that year I applied to do my nursing at um, Queen Elizabeth Hospital. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a little bit of a story in that because I wanted to go to Queen Elizabeth. My mum is a very strong lady, you don't mm. mess with her. No you don't. She said to me, I think you'll do better at Royal Adelaide Hospital. Royal Adelaide seemed too big to me. Yeah. I wanted to go to something that was a little bit smaller. And also, they would only, um, they, they would do this sort of um, psychometric testing, ability testing, but they'd only do it on a Saturday. Right, yeah. So I said, oh, I gave up real quick. I said, nah, can't <laughs> go that, I can get into the other one. My mum then rang uh, John Banks, who was, uh, the youth pastor of South Australia at the time, yeah. he said, she said, would you mind having a chat to the Royal Adelaide Hospital and, and see whether they can um, do, do this testing on another day? Yeah. And that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I suppose if my mum didn't interfere, um, I would not have ended up at Royal Adelaide Hospital, which was uh, really uh, a brilliant uh, training we call it general because you just get exposed to every aspect of nursing yeah. from ICU, critical care, medical, surgical, uh, plastic surgery, eyes, ears, nose and throat, you name it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was very grateful. So, you know, I did that in my early 20s. Um, in fact, it was there that I really started to, where I was exposed to a couple of things that really shaped me going into counselling, yeah. not that I thought it was counselling at that time. One is I was working on a cancer ward, we called it oncology, yeah. and I saw all these people dying and I thought to myself, I'd like to know, I'd like to have the skills to be able to talk to people who are dying more effectively. This is at a time when we were never able to have these conversations, it was only done by the doctors or the you know the unit psychologists or the yeah. social workers we were there just to do so that was that was the first thing and actually there was two things we had these mental health nurses that came over from Glenside Hospital yeah we thought they were really lazy because <laughs> general nurses were very focused on doing tasks yeah but mental health nurses would sit on beds and talk to people yeah and when we'd have a handover they would give these elegant handovers 
behavioral descriptions about people and that fascinated me yeah, uh, yeah. and I came alive with that uh, and at the same time I'd had two very good friends who were mental health nurses who were, who were coming over from Glenside to do their general so we would swap over this at that time um, if you did your general then you could go over and do your, your psychiatric training as we called it yep. for 18 months or if you were psychiatric trained you could come over and become mm. what we call a, a double certificated uh, nurse yep. and two of my best friends said to me oh Brenton well, we reckon you should go and do mental health or you know psychiatric nursing over there and I thought about it for a bit and I thought oh well why not I wasn't really enthused about it um, but I thought Oh yeah, there's something about that that I was a little bit interested in. Yeah. And so in '82 and '83, that's what I did. Yeah. So you went and did your psychiatric nursing. Hmm. Um, how did you find that? I actually felt felt that turn my head upside down. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just confronted uh, with so many different situations in life. Um, that really started to change my worldview. Um, you know, um, there were, you know, pitiful things that occurred. There were stories that were told to me about what had occurred. Um, I it just opened me up to so many more questions about mm -hmm. life, about psychology, um, about people, and it was probably a, about that time that I, I really started, uh, you know, questioning um, the whole Christianity yeah. and my faith. Yeah. Um, and uh, I would say it, it was a very difficult time because, uh, you know, it, I, was, I was a little bit in turmoil about things and because I'm used to having a black and white thinking in yeah. medicine. You have these features, you have these symptoms, that means that diagnosis, you get treated. But you come over into mental health <laughs> and humanistic psychology and, um, and then when you ask people a question about something, they give you this nebulous, wishy-washy <laughs> uh, stuff. Um, so one of, you know, one of those really big moments was that um, I had to go down and call up these patients for tea one night yeah. and they, they were down in the toilet and uh, they were down in the toilet and they were having sex in the toilet so I came back and I said to the guys well, what's your view on this you know is this allowed da 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 well I've got this wishy-washy answer of you know sex being very therapeutic mm -hmm. and doing this and doing that did it make me any clearer about it no, <laughs> but it was the start of exposing me to sitting with this um, much more broader, you know, uh, greyer area of thinking yeah, that yeah. both intrigued me, but it also confused me and, and messed up my head. Yeah. Um, and of course, um, yeah, I, I finished that training and I, I'm... I actually didn't stay there because I just thought this just didn't light my candle. It just um, it was for you know chronic long term stuff. Yeah. Um, and I just couldn't see myself doing that. But uh, yeah, that was a very turbulent time, uh, and that then coincided at the time where I started having some chats with my uh, 
my church pastor about some of my doubts. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm one of the, I was one of those people that would flip from looking for the. Uh, I'm being a, quite an idealist. Yeah. So, if it's not this, then I've got to flip over to this. If it's not Christianity and that doesn't answer all my questions, then maybe I'll find them all in in humanistic psychology. And of course, uh, what I found that uh, you know there are upside and downside in psychology. Just like there were some unanswered things in uh, my Christianity, and then I worked towards, I would say probably over the next ten years, trying to integrate both of those. So yeah. in some ways, I've had to straddle living in the psychology world, but still trying to maintain uh, my my Christian belief. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. So how, like, where did you find God fit in that? Because once you actually come to see situations and see life and how some people live life and what life is actually like for people, like I know in, especially in Adventist circles, I don't mean any offence by that, but in Adventist circles we're very like Mm. idealistic, like things are this way and that's it and we're kind of in our little bubble and we don't really... And again, I'm generalizing, but we don't tend to like go outside of that bubble very much. And no. but once you come into contact with people in quote unquote the real world and how what actually goes on for people and how people actually live, it does start to bring up those questions of okay, like you know, who is God? What is what are we doing here? All of that kind of stuff. So where did God kind of fit for you in that process? Yeah. So I think at that time. Uh, some of my questioning was around did we have madness did we have psychiatric illness in scripture that it was described as being demon possessed yeah as we find in you know with the uh, the pigs and and another madmen and so i was curious to see whether the psychiatric you know fraternity would have an answer for those sorts of things, where someone would be actually have a, an, an opening to, to conceptualise that. Yeah. So I was trying to hold on to my Christian worldview, but at the same time I was seeing whether that might fit into the psychiatric worldview of some sort. And, of course, um, that's not the case. Yeah. I mean, psychiatry came out of um, a rebellion uh, from the, you know, the postmodern era that you know, God was... Uh, not of any, any use. Yeah, um, yeah. There was disbelief for that. Let's disregard that. So um, I think it just took me on this journey, um, this new world journey, because I've always been curious about things. I've always been curious about ideas. Yeah. Um, I thought there's got to be some way um, uh, that I can blend this and. Uh, and I can integrate this because I think there's some value in that but I don't want to subscribe to that totally Yeah. Uh, and I want to still I still think there's some value um, or a great deal of the value in, in my Christian heritage and it, it makes you think about how how does the how does, does the, the knowledge of God actually come into your life yeah um if you were never raised uh, in a God-fearing, you know, worldview, yeah, and 
I think shortly after that, um, I, I moved to child adolescent mental health. And one of the things that really astounded me was children who would come into your office and they, and they would uh, talk to you about God. And yet their parents were atheists. There was none of that whatsoever. Yet for them, they still had this belief about God. And, and, that's, and that really surprised me that, that there must be a God-filled space in all of us. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of whether you call it indoctrination or, you know, being socialised in a particular way. Um, so that was a little bit of a beginning of, you know, just that aha stuff. Yeah. That there must be something much bigger than just whether you're raised in a family this way. That how else could you explain yeah. a, a child coming up with that idea? Yeah. Uh, a very young child uh, before they've actually been re-socialised or socialised in a particular way. Yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, mm. So, as you continue with, how long did your training actually take? Was it just the eighteen months? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, when you were in the like children adolescent counselling um is that where you found I guess you're still there did you stay in that kind of area of psych of counselling or psychology or did you like move around like what was that journey I, I've like moved you? around a lot um but look after that I I went and worked in a, a private um facility um here in Adelaide called the Adelaide Clinic um and because I, I've always wanted, I think that was when I really wanted to do, um, you know, maybe do some counselling, do some therapy. And, and they gave me an opportunity, um, you know, to run some, you know, uh, meditation, relaxation, you know, take clients for walk. They were, mm. they were a different quality yeah. uh, client. Um, of course, they were paying, you know, private money mm. for that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you could have a different relationship with that. Uh, and really how I got into child adolescent mental health is, is another one of those big surprises <laughs> because it's always about other people will see things in you that you don't see in yourself. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I had one of those encounters where someone was on night duty and uh, we would have a little chat after handover and she said to me one day, Brenton, you're very good with adolescence. You know, there's this job going out at Enfield they're looking for somebody uh, it was called Willis House Adolescent Unit it was like a um, I'm not sure the best way to describe it but it's like a withdrawal unit you would take um, students who were just about to get expelled from their school yeah. would, would come to our unit we would uh, take them from groups we would uh, look you know do family sessions um, we would coordinate all their care we'd re liaise with the schools yeah and um, so on a whim um, she said uh, oh look there's a three-month contract you should you should go for that and I had to think about it and thought yeah I'd, I'd like to give that a try what you need to know is that uh, Vicky and I had been married we'd uh, had our first child uh, she was pregnant uh, with our second child I was leaving a full-time job <laughs> full-time you know security to go for this little contract that was three months yeah now if you ask me to do that now um, 
uh, I would say, look. <laughs> but you know what? At that time, I still had this, maybe it was a naivety, but it was this sort of bold faith uh, that I'd be looked after. Yeah. And uh, and that, you know, that's what happened. What happened is the government, they extended it, gave you another three months and then another three months. And then after that, it was, you know, um, it was mandatory to, to convert you straight to being permanent. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's and that's where it started. But I went into that job. I had very little training on running groups, even though I'd run groups in church and, and done stuff. It wasn't enough for them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I had not done any training in how to do uh, counselling, family meetings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We had no supervision from anything. You just went from the seat of your pants. That's the only way I can describe it. And it was my just my I think my God-given skills and intuition that gave me that foundation, uh, you know, to do that. So we were living at Hackham. Uh, I had to travel out to Enfield two or three times a week. I'd ride my bike all the way from Hackham all the way out to uh, Enfield. But even though that was a very tough beginning, um, that was really uh, the time when I I knew um, that I wanted to do some more. Uh, counseling training and uh, I think in some ways you know God has always been with me and um, I met somebody that I trained with uh, at Glenside uh, who was working in Melbourne uh, a number of years back and she said to me I, I think I know why you've always had some enthusiasm for the work that you do because you've got this much bigger cause yeah inside yeah. of you and, and she says, I think that shaped, um, you know, the value you saw in people. It, it gave you this much bigger uh, worldview, uh, but it was a, a, a very solid worldview that meant that all people were seen as valuable in the eyes of God. Yeah. I, I found that a really interesting comment. Uh, you know, it was quite a few years later that we bumped into each other when I was living in Melbourne there. Um, and yeah I, th- I think that that's part of that journey yeah yeah well like like that what you're just saying just kind of remind me of that quote that like god doesn't qualify call the qualified he qualifies the called yeah yeah um yeah which i absolutely love um but also i really resonate with that like deeper purpose giving you more of a drive to keep going like even when things are hard or you don't know what you're doing or like everything's really confusing mm when you're in that place where you know like no this is where this is where I'm meant to be like even yeah, if there's yeah. like a few questions around that just that like in a not this is where I'm meant to be it just it helps you to like it's like an anchor like it helps you to actually oh, stick with yeah, it yeah. when like in other situations you'd probably like bail out <laughs> like yeah I um have experienced that a lot even just with this podcast like it's it's one of those things that there's been a few times even before I'd actually got up and running that I was like I don't know like this is really confusing I don't really know what I'm doing but it's just that like you know that that deeper calling that's like no you got to stick this out mm-hmm. and so yeah I really resonate with that yeah look you're, you're spot on with that um, because uh, for me a lot of these uh, areas that I've worked in have, have been high anxiety and and so it's 
and sometimes um, instead of bailing on those I've had to learn to be resilient and, and that's only been because um, I believed in, in you know as you said God's calling and uh, that he wanted us to, to go out and do some messy work and get our hands messy and, and to be able to sit with that messiness um, at a time when part of you just wants order, <laughs> nice and control. Uh, yeah. And if you, you want order and control, you don't go into mental health. No, not at all. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Hmm. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, just like touching on what you're saying there, you've been one of those people that has really helped me to stick with that kind of stuff. I remember a conversation we had not too long ago about just stuff that was going on in my life and... Mm. Like, I wanted to bail something fierce, but you're like, no, just learn to sit with it. And yep. I'm really, really glad that I took that advice because it's worked out really well yeah. thus far. Um, and just like all of the learnings that you get and from just sitting in the mess uh, yeah, and yeah. stepping back and not trying to like react or respond to everything all at once, but to actually sit back and go, okay, what's actually going on here? What's going on behind the scenes? What is like... The root cause of this stuff what is me what is not me all of that kind of yeah, thing yeah absolutely um and i think that especially in today's society like we have this like throwaway society essentially mm. so like we do it with tv shows we do it with food we do it with relationships like yeah. Yeah. if something's not quote unquote working for us we just chuck it out and try to find a new one mm. but i think that there's something to be said about being able to just sit in the messiness and actually try to work through it. I think that's probably taken me many, many, many years actually. And it's about knowing yourself, knowing what's going on inside of you, um, looking for the promised land or yeah. it's greener on the other side. Yeah. And just recognizing uh, that you're never going to find a place like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just all of those experiences um, add to sustaining you and keeping you from letting that big wave wash over you yeah but that has to have some sort of um spiritual base yeah, that, yeah, that keeps yeah. you cemented yeah, absolutely. um and i th you know when i think we were beginning this conversation i i was just thinking about that probably even even just coming and doing this this role that i have been over the last few years has come at a time when um, it's really built my faith even more, yeah. especially when you're working in a school where 95% of the students are non-Christian and you're in a faith-based school and you are allowed to yeah. share your faith. A lot of all those other places, they made it very clear that you were never able yeah. to do that. So you had to respect that, even though sometimes when I had spoken <laughs> in some general spirituality i remember one place i was talking about uh, you know love and peace and you know graciousness and then the the head of that unit took me aside and said oh we hear you're talking religion brenton mm -hmm. and i said to her well you know really what i'm talking about is just general spirituality and she never called me into her office ever again <laughs> i think it was because she knew i'd done some chaplaincy before she thought, uh oh, here we go, he's, he's, he's getting right into this. Um, but what I loved about that is that person trusted me enough yeah. uh, and, and, and never challenged me again once she discovered who I was and what I represented and that I wouldn't, Yeah. I would respect those boundaries, yeah. you know. 
Yeah, I think there's something to be said about being able to respect the boundaries of other people. Like, that really does build that, like, trust relationship with them. That, like, mm. you're not going to overstep their, their line. Yeah. Um, and, like, even our faith relationship, like, our relationship with God, that is entirely built on trust. Mm. Um, like, it needs to be you can't love or, like, appreciate someone that you don't trust. But, like, you can't have love without trust. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love that. Um, so a few years ago now, how many would it be? Like four, maybe? Um, I had the pleasure of going with you to Laos. Yes. So you, I just want to like talk about that a little bit because I know we had some really great conversations while we were there. Um, so how did the whole experience of the mission trip at Laos, which let's face it, it was a fairly easy mission trip, like as in the, in the respect that, like, we weren't really tenting it or anything like that. Like, we mm. got to stay in, like, mm. a normally decent beds and, like, yep. that kind of thing. But coming from the context... Well, firstly, had you ever been in that kind of an environment before? No, 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 no. And that was strange how, how that all happened. It was, it's again, one of those things that just percolates inside of you, you know, like it was my first year here at Prescott Southern and uh, I knew there was a mission trip and there was just this little calling inside of me saying I think this would be a good thing to do yeah and uh, so you know Mark and Michaela mm-hmm. who were here I, I just said uh, you know I think I'd like to go and I had a discussion with Vicky at home about that because I've always wanted to do an ADRA trip yeah for a long long time yeah. but I had children uh, had to raise them couldn't afford to go on yeah. one of those yeah. um just to experience what it'd be like to be with a, a team of people yeah. um, who think differently, uh, as you know, come from a predominantly Buddhist yeah. you know, framework, uh, another language, uh, another different socio-economic space. So, you know, doing that much later in my career, um, where you have a much more broader appreciation of life of people, yeah. of culture, all of that stuff together, um, bringing that all together, very valuable. And then with some people on our team that, you know, we had, uh, you know, a number of students who, who are non-Christian, but were very comfortable with the, you know, Adventist spirituality. And I suppose some of our team members, were all, we're all on a journey, yeah. weren't we? We, yeah. went to a, we went on a journey, but we're all on our own personal journey. Yeah, I find it so interesting to see, like, where everybody went from that experience. Like, like I know one of the team members, you guys would have heard her talk at the end of season one, Luana. So she's uh, doing yeah. mission work over in America now. She's about to go to, well, when you guys hear this, she'll probably be in Hawaii. Um, yeah, Mark and Michaela that Brent mentioned before, they're in England now. Mm. Um, I'm doing this. Like, there's just... yeah. It's just so interesting to see how God kind of gathers people together, gives them experience, and then spreads them out in different in different ways. But I'm really interested to see how that experience, the experience of Lao, um, shaped your practice in counselling. Like, did it affect it at all? Did... Well, well, one of the things, yeah, look, when you go on one of those trips, you never know what they're going to ask you to do. So we went on that trip. Um, the, the leader um, or director of ADRA, um, had uh, got all our CVs. Mm-hmm. He could see that I was a counsellor. So first thing he said to me is, oh, 
we'd like you to um, do some training uh, with our workers, uh, uh, some general, you know, counselling training for three or four days. I hadn't bought any notes. <laughs> <laughs> I just had some scrap paper. Um, and so I, my first night, I just got down there and I just, I just wrote uh, vigorously uh, all the ideas I could have to do and then try and structure them over a few days. And, and then um, it was an interesting process because I had to have a translate. So I, I would talk a little bit. That person would translate it. Um, but that was a wonderful experience for me. Um, I've always liked to teach and share my yeah. ideas, but I don't want to do it in a formal way. Yeah, yeah, um, I get that. You, you get that, <laughs> I don't get you? that. No, um, like sharing ideas and my experience about stuff. Um, so that, that was a shaper. Yeah. You know, um, it was a shaper um, in terms of uh, the worships that we did. Yeah. Uh, you talked about Luana. I just watching uh, an enthusiastic, brand new Christian yeah. take on some big risks. Yeah. Uh, which we encouraged, and I know that was such a huge thing. And I just watched how beautifully uh, she did that. You know, for our one of our main church services. Um, and I think probably being able to share our, brec our, our breakfast conversations and just talking about what we were going through, just doing life with each other, yeah, at, you yeah. know, before we had breakfast. Yeah. That, that was a significant shape because every person you talk to shapes you differently, gives you another difference, emphasis, another little spin on their journey. And, you know, that's such... That's why I love counselling because it's such a, a privileged position to hear people's stories and, and they shape you and they change you and they inspire you, you yeah. know, to go deeper about things or to explore more things. Um, so all of those things were, were profound and uh, it was also profound because at that time one of our dear friends died in Melbourne and we had to get back quickly yeah. and we, we couldn't stay with the group and... You know, so again, you know, every time you have to do that, you have to think more about meaning of life, what happens in death, what happens in this and that. Yeah, um, there would have been such like, not really, I've not really thought about this before, but you were in a country where life, honestly, is not really valued. Very oh, much absolutely. For them. Um, <laughs> mm. Like, people don't really have that value. I mean, like, they, they, in culturally, they don't really have that value. Like, as Christians, we understand that they are all incredibly valuable, yeah. but like in their culture, they don't really value life. And like for me, it was a massive eye opener. Just like with all the bombs that they still have to all those uh, un un ornaments, wasn't it? Yeah. So mm. there's over in Laos, there's all of these like bombs that haven't gone off yet from mm -hmm. the Vietnam War. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, but yeah, like for you, like I was saying, you go from like that environment and then having to come back early to like, mm. I guess like the, our Western society where we do really yep. culturally value life. Yeah. Um, there would have been such a like 180 for you guys to be in those two different yeah. realms, I suppose. Yeah. Do you want to like explore that a bit? Like what was that like for you? Well, I reckon before we do that, um, I... I love watching how these people operated, you know, um, and we learned because we went to one of those museums where they showed uh, all the prostheses, limbs, yeah. all of that, and yet their Buddhist philosophy 
I meant that they didn't go back too much into the past. Yeah. They were in the present moment and they just accepted that as being part of their life. I love watching people that had very little uh, be so happy. Yeah, yeah, that was you know, really profound uh, for me Going too. into their huts. I remember with Luana, we did some stuff there and just watching a pit in the middle, a couple of beds with a curtain at the end, very little materialistic stuff, yet they were so um, committed to their children having a good education. Yeah. And then us driving through those hills, watching them having shop fronts all at the front of their houses. Yeah, yeah. And then watching them always eat at night time. And us being, you know, coming from an individual focus and them coming from a group focus, yeah. group decision focus. So, to me, I was inspired about how they, um, how their Buddhism just affected their day-to-day life. Yeah. Uh, and how accepting they were, uh, n- not over-analysis, not too much overthinking of it, not yeah. too much anger about it. They, they actually had this really incredible peacefulness about that. And I, I think that that is still with me. Uh, I still remember that. I still reflected on that about um, just how people congregate, how they come together as groups, and realising that's something we don't have in this country, you know. Yeah. You know, don't know our neighbours. We don't know people in our streets. We might wave. It's so superficial. And yet there, there was this real strong community feel. Even when we went in the markets, yeah, everything there yeah. just had that feel which um, has lasted a great deal. Um, but I also love, uh, you know, what we do here. But it did inspire me, you know, to get to know my neighbours more, look for those opportunities, you yeah. know. Walk across, it was from Bill Hybels, you know, walk across that room when we were... We're looking at, you know, how do we make friends with people? How do we maximise those opportunities? How can we, you know, share God in that space? Yeah, yeah. I I, I agree. I love their sense of community over there. Mm. Um, it was, yeah, it was a massive eye-opener for me too. Like, I remember some stage I went with one of the leaders, like, that was based in Laos, and he was from the village that mm. we were in. Um, and we went and I don't know one of us needs to go to the toilet or something like that and he just pulled over at some random person's house and yep. they like invited us in and yeah, yeah, um, yeah. those of us who were just like waiting around we like played with their kids and had conversation with them as much as we could because there was a language barrier there mm. um, but yeah like they're just so open and friendly and accepting and that is also one of the things that I really took away from Lao is that like you don't actually have to be scared of people um, which was, I know that that doesn't sound that mind-blowing, but for me it was a really huge thing because oh, yeah. I spent a lot of my life alone. Um, yeah, yeah. And, like, like my family background is, like, there was a lot of fear around people mm-hmm. growing up. Um, mm. So, yeah, just walking into this space where that wasn't really a thing. Like, they didn't really have that. Um, their kids were super happy. I remember being at the school and, like, teaching them English songs and all mm. those kind of things but like these kids didn't eat for most of the day but they were they didn't well they I couldn't hear them complain because I don't speak loud but I don't think that they did like no, they just no I think you're right they just they were just happy all the time mm. they're playing and 
adored us and thought that we were the bee's knees, which was really cute. But mm. like, don't you reckon they had a wonderful spirituality about them? Yeah, even yeah. even when we went to that church, and uh, you know they were translating, and then they make cook up the big. <laughs> There, there, there was something beautiful all about all both of those aspects, wasn't yeah. it? That you know, there was a sense of belonging. They didn't seem to be so fragmented or caught up with all the the distractions or or addictions that we've got in our country as yeah. much. Yeah, I think that that's, that's part of the key to it there too. Is that like in like Western culture, we have so many distractions. Like mm. there is so many things that. Are screaming our attention all the time yeah like you drive down the road there's like ads or like on the road there's billboards and ads and things flashing and lights and cars and then you've got like our phones and stuff in our pockets all the time and like yeah, technology yeah. is everywhere and technology is really handy and useful sometimes but it was just really nice to get away from that and just like go back i guess to basics of like how important life is mm. and how important the people around you are because really, in the grand scheme of things, that's the only thing that's really going to go with us is is our relationship with God and people. That's that's all we can take. Hmm. Like all of the stuff that we have here on earth, it's not like it's handy and it's useful, but they're tools. They're not. Hmm. We're not meant to base our life on them. Yeah. Um. So back to so you've can't you can, we come back to Laos. You were still working at the back from Lao. You're still working at the school, yeah? Um, did did your actual practices with people change, like, the way that you, like, thought about like, as I know that in counselling, like, when I was did part of my counselling degree diploma, um, you're always, like, analysing what they're saying and trying to see, like, just getting curious about them. Did, did, did your curiosities or anything change around the kids that you were dealing with? Look, I just think it adds another layer of experience that you draw on uh, that changes you and it changes about more about the depth and value of life and people. Yeah. Um, and secondly, um, that every person you work with has got this story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think what it did is I looked at Christianity and I thought, what are the two key, you know, maybe fundamental principles of what Jesus did in Scripture? Uh, to love and to serve. Yeah. To love and to serve. We, we, we went over to that, that country to do that. Um, we come back here and, you know, we still have to do the same thing yeah. in the school setting. To love and to serve. And we do that through God's grace. And secondly, some of the students we work with require a lot of grace to work with. Yeah, yeah. You know, sometimes uh, we could be tempted to say, oh, look, they're too hard. Let's, you know, let's not put any energy into them. Um, but that experience um, just added to that we need more of God's grace yeah. to deal with kids who are, who are high needs. And... What, what are the things that they're going to remember? What's from from my conversations with them? Yeah, can I deliver, you know, God's message, not just through my counselling, but through the person that I am, you know, like yeah. like a sermon without words. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that's what I I see here, and I think each 
here, I've been here, I've been able to develop and, and build on to some of those relationships, some of those young people, uh, having people going in and out of their lives. And some have said, look, we know you're going to be here. <laughs> and, and, and yet you, you're working in a, in a, uh, a school community. It's an ecosystem yeah. that they're living in each day, which is very different than a lot of other settings. Yeah. And, and that's a very unique privilege to be in. Um, both with you know young people, young girls, and uh, young men, yeah. you know here at school. So and the school keeps bringing up issues that means you've got to dig down deep and and figure out what your values are, what your principles are, what do we stand for? Yeah. You know whether that be about social media, um, bullying, cyber bullying, or just some of the changes that are happening in gender diversity yeah. that's starting to come through. It's, so what happens, you know, secularly it comes into, into us. So you've got to understand what are the, the principles that guide, guide you in doing that work and, and how do you treat them and how do you treat them uh, with the same eyes uh, that Christ did for all those who were on the fringe yeah. and who were on the outer, you know, that weren't the disrespectable people as yeah. Philip Yancey calls them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, I guess so in that where have you seen God like work the most so so for example for me just tracking back to Lao there was one little boy that I really connected with mm. um, who had like a disfigured uh, face and mm. stuff like that um, which in that culture he was very much shunned and not so much from his family per se, but just like culturally, mm. that like they don't have any kind of disability support or anything over there, um, and so yeah, they just get treated really badly. And I remember like actually touching his face and him crying because mm. no one had ever touched him yeah. like that before, mm. um, like just from a place of love and acceptance. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, so where in your time as working with kids, where have you seen God? Kind of really come through. I I think he comes through because um, this sort of work is so complex um, that I have to make sure that my spiritual tanks filled up every morning. Yeah. Um, and once upon a time, I think I would have been far more independent from God, yeah. even though I still believed about Him. But coming here, um, I knew. Not I know, but I think it's just been building and getting deeper. Is that um, I have to depend on him to do this work, and that has given me this sort of quiet peace and quiet assurance yeah. that when I'm doing some of the tricky work here, that some of this work I've never done before. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of restorative justice and groups of people and all sorts of things. There, there's no way that I can do that on my own, yeah. whether it be here at or, or in my other school setting. And, and then when I have these little opportunities, um, when we have Christian spiritual talks with students, yeah. and yeah. It, it might be, you know, I'm interested you come to a faith-based school, uh, you know, what do you, what do you believe in? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and having those really rich conversations um, 
uh, with with young people, whether it be about death or God, and that multiple different views about yeah, that, yeah. Um, and just feeling so blessed to have those, um, you know, what is the bigger purpose? What is the meaning and the purpose in life? What do you think happens after here? Um, so, yeah, I feel very privileged to have. So that's where I that's where I see God. Um, uh, leading and opening up spaces because um, I say well you know how do you want me to work um, what risks do I take with that what conversations yeah. do I take with that um, without thinking that I'm you know shove, shoving it down their throat or proselytizing but but being his his hands and his feet uh, here in our school yeah um, I love that so beautiful um, mm. I guess one of the, I guess one of the things that we're kind of going through in our uni at the moment is just this idea that ministry is not about doing stuff for God, but like it's actually his invitation to partner with him. Yes. And just the way that you've articulated that just then just really kind of shows that's that's really what you're doing. It's, mm. it's relying on him because he knows where he's going and he knows these kids better than we ever could. Yep, yep. Um, and he knows what they need to hear and he knows... Mm how they need to be like loved and cared for and all those kinds of things and it's just that constantly relying on him to as to go you know what this person needs how do how do you want me to show your love how do they need to see your love yep. um yeah. in this particular situation so yeah just yeah i really appreciate the way that you like look at your work as not so much um a, like this i'm doing this for god kind of like to please him but from a place of like relationship oh absolutely absolutely um yeah definitely so yeah we're we're uh, you know i'm 65 this year i i still have a passion for these young people um that's what i and i'm you know still being open to, to where, where they're going to lead me and and what, what are those conversations we, we're going to have we know that a lot of the results from we won't see for another yeah, 10 years plus yeah. um, just laying the foundation because being a counselor at school you're not a teacher not a disciplinarian it's a very different uh, format different relationship that you have and uh, you know I feel highly privileged to be here yeah just like just curious about that so like you said you probably won't see the results of your labor potentially ever no. how does that sit with you just because I'm like for me I am a bit of like instant gratification is <laughs> it's really it's how I would prefer to live but obviously life isn't like that but especially in your role so how do you cope with that yourself yeah, well, I, I think I've become more patient as I've got older and, of course, much more philosophical about that. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm much more comfortable at, at knowing that, you know, we're just doing some little pieces, you know, bit by bit as a cinch, yard by yard, far too hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that this is actually a belief that a lot of teachers have. And this is what makes it really quite hard because, you, you know, it is quite a delayed... Um, action, but we do know that students come back a lot long, you know, years down the track, and they come back and say, you know, you were an important person. So, you know, it's that idea that uh, 
uh, you were important to, into a life of a child and they remember that and that comes much later. Yeah, no, it, it's a discipline. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, One that I'm still learning myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So speaking of like disciplines and like that we learn through like our work or through God or like wherever we're observing them. What would be, what would you say would be your one discipline that you've definitely learnt from like reading, researching, understanding the life? Um, he had a set of practices that, um, that he did and undertook and practiced. Um, you know, one was um, prayer, one was you know that he's very clear that he was about his father's business number th four that he was very engaged and committed to people yeah. who were shunned who were yeah. the social socially disadvantaged and uh, that's that, that has been something that you know I, I would like to you know be comfortable with yeah um, and he saw the potential he, had the, he was the greatest psychologist around, wasn't he? He picked these people who came from um, very basic backgrounds and yet he, he, they transformed by being with him in, into the most useful ministers and disciples uh, of pro promoting the gospel after you know, he died and you know, went to heaven. Yeah. And the yeah. Holy Spirit used them. So I suppose counselling comes from the Holy Spirit, doesn't it? Yeah. The, the great advocate, advocate, the great encourager, you know, He's great counsellor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it just, you know, I think spiritually and, you know, secularly that comes together in that space. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for being on the podcast, Brenton. I really appreciate Please. your words of wisdom. Yep. Well, I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Brenton always offers so much wisdom. Love listening to him. Could listen to him for hours. Um, once again, if you have any questions or you want to get in contact with us or if you'd like to be on the podcast, um, come to our Instagram and it's just let them testify or the word. We would be happy to talk to you. Um, and yeah, again, thanks for listening. And